Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Guardian. Bay Area tech giants are taking action against conspiracy theorist Alex Jones. Twitter CEO is standing by the company's decision to put InfoWars' Alex Jones on a seven-day suspension. YouTube, Facebook, and Apple all announcing they're removing his content from their platforms. If you haven't heard of Alex Jones, lucky you. This 40-something radio show host and conspiracy theorist has been in the news a lot lately because social media giants like YouTube, Facebook and Twitter have either suspended or banned him from their sites and removed his content. But we're not here today to talk about fake news. We're here to talk about pirates. America's broadcasting watchdog has shut down the flagship radio station of controversial personality Alex Jones and his show Infowars. In August 2018, Alex Jones fell afoul of another organisation when the US Federal Communications Commission shut down a pirate radio station called Liberty Radio that broadcast Jones alongside other programming. Unfortunately, their decision apparently had nothing to do with content. The chairman of the FCC, Ajit Pai, clarified that the enforcement was based not on the programming Liberty Radio broadcasted, but on the way the station broadcasted without a license, and thus, illegally. Despite the risk of station closure and hefty fines, new stations continue to pop up all over the world. But why? The UK's Radio Caroline was famously created in the 60s to get around the control that the BBC and record companies had over radio and music. But surely things are different these days. So why is there still such a demand for pirate radio? When you're doing pirate, you're not restricted in the same way. You can kind of play stuff that's hard, still hard to reach, because music is so variable now. There's so much out there, and yet people don't know what's out there. So there's loads of probably different types of music out there that people want to listen to. So there's always going to be a market for it. It's never going to change. And in the face of such obvious staying power, why are government bodies still trying to get these stations off the air? What threat do they actually pose? What this new legislation is trying to do is to sort of make things happen faster. They're going to have more sweeps. They're raising fines up to $2 million. And I do see that there are more citations coming through, that more stations in my area are getting notices that they shouldn't be on the air. But most of them are still on the air. This is Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. To start off the show, let's have a quick trip down memory lane on a ship called Caroline. In the Easter of 1964, Irishman Ronan O'Reilly 
influenced by the likes of Radio Veronica in the Netherlands, founded the first British pirate radio station off the coast, Radio Caroline. Life aboard the ocean and radio waves certainly has its attractions despite postmaster generals. It was a postmaster general, Mr Reginald Bevins, under the last Conservative government, who made the prediction that if the government didn't act against pot pirates, the coasts of Britain would soon be ringed by an armada of pot pirate ships. Well, Back in the 60s, pirate radio stations like Radio Caroline were able to broadcast pop music all day for audiences like Housewives at a time when the BBC dominated and pop was limited to an hour a week. And in the following years and decades, pirate radio continued to serve audiences underserved elsewhere. I'm from Liverpool originally, so when I first came to London and I was on the radio, I had to really learn very quickly how to change my accent so that people could understand me. Really? Yeah, so, because it was a bit... In the 80s, one group that was widely ignored by the mainstream media and found that they could turn to pirate radio instead was the UK's black community. Okay, so my name is Carmela Obinion. I do have various other DJ names. My first DJ name was Sister C. I worked on a radio station called Dread Broadcasting Corporation, Rebel Radio. And then I had another DJ name called DJ Camilla. Uh, it was spelt differently because obviously doing pirate radio in those days, it was illegal, so you didn't want to use your real name. Dread Broadcasting Media, or DBC, a kind of satirical nod to the BBC, was founded by DJ Lepke, who was frustrated that he couldn't hear reggae music on the radio, except for maybe a few hours here and there in the middle of the night. Carmela, despite being in her early 20s and with very little experience, was determined to get involved. Yes, yeah, so when I very, very, very first started, I was actually a nurse at St Mary's Hospital in Paddington, and then I became a social worker for Westminster. Uh, the whole time I was doing radio and TV, I always worked. I was about 20 years old and I was working in a shop down Portobello Road and there was a lot of kind of like excitement in the air about this new station called Dread Broadcasting Corporation. And I thought, wow, I've got to get on that station. So the guy I worked for, Chris, introduced me to this guy called Jolly who worked over the road and he knew uh, Mike the Bike and Lepke and they were the people that run the station. And they were like, well, do you have any records? I was like, no. So it was a lot of no's, but I thought, you know what, I was so keen. So I just kept badgering them. And eventually, Lepke said to me, okay, you can come on the station, but you have to play 60 Soul. And remember, you couldn't go to the library. There's no internet. So you had to really use your legs. So what I would do, I'd go to people that were a lot older than myself that had massive 60s collections and I would tape their music, and that's how I started. So I taped um, records and used that, and then I was able to start building up my record collection. I mean, your generation have, cannot imagine it, but there was no other type of music on the radio. There was no soca. Reggae was, like, really kind of rare. There was no rhythm and blues. There was no jazz. It was just really boring, mundane. I call it medallion music, presented by medallion DJs. So we needed some variety. From DBC's inception, race was a big part of the story. For DJ Camilla, her work with the station also highlighted the lack of women in radio at the time. You could count probably the amount of women on radio at that time on one hand. So, you know, it was a big thing. There was many variables. And so we just thought, you know, let's make a change. And the opportunity was there. And you know what? I took it and I ran with it. The DBC crew wasn't just being rebellious for rebellion's sake. They wanted to go legitimate. 
They even went all the way to the House of Commons. i never forget that day because I'd like to say that we went to the House of Commons and it was lovely and there were open arms and they all offered us a cup of tea and a biscuit. But that didn't happen. It was not like that. People were a bit fearful of us and really it's because they didn't know us. Maybe to certain people we looked slightly intimidating, but really we were all kind of teddy bears because we all had long locks, red, gold and green. People hadn't really seen that before and they were a bit kind of uncomfortable. And uh, I think it was Lepke that spoke and Mike the Bike spoke about the station. So we were told, if you come off the radio, you've got more chance of being legal. In order to get a licence, you need to step back, put your application in and you've got more chance. And it didn't happen. In the end, it looked like Carmela and the others had been duped. After fighting their case in the House of Commons, they were told they had a better chance of obtaining a licence if they took themselves off the air and sent in an application. DBC never broadcast again. You know, but obviously they weren't ready. That wasn't the time. Eventually it did happen, you know, with Kiss FM. Jazz FM, Choice FM, you know, I just remember that time and thinking, wow, you know, it was good that lots of people were able to get, you know, that were from that time working on those stations and were now on legal stations. But there was also a, another massive group of people that didn't get the opportunity. But that's what happened to DBC. What happened to everyone else you were working with? Why didn't any of the others try and start the station up again? You know, the thing is... Can you imagine doing something for three whole years of your life or four years of life every single day? You don't get paid for it. It's all you live and breathe. You know, people had families, responsibilities. So, you know, unless you had a lot of support, it's hard to continue that, especially when... Because it was always everyone's dream to become a legal station because obviously then you could do it properly and be financed doing it. You know, to do stuff like that year in and year out... When I think about my journey from the time I was 20, 20 to the time I was 29, I'd done it for nine years, never getting paid, driving all over London, different dodgy spots where we were transmitting from. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Although the UK's pirate radio history goes back to the 1960s, with significant stations like DBC in the 80s, there are still dozens of pirate radio stations in the country today even though a less restricted market and modern technologies mean that there are far more opportunities for people to get content out legally. So I asked DJ Camilla what she thinks makes pirate radio so appealing, even today. By the time you go to a legal radio station, yeah, you are more established as a DJ. You're more restricted. It could also be your livelihood as well. That you're making a living from it. When you're doing pirate, you're not restricted in the same way. You can kind of play stuff that's hard, still hard to reach because music is so variable now. There's so much out there and yet people don't know what's out there. So there's always going to be a market for it. It's never going to change. And the thing is, if it does change, then it'll just become boring again because it'll be the same format, the same songs. Boring, boring, boring all day long. So at least with Pirate Radio, there's always going to be a market. I'm just surprised there was never Pirate TV. (laughs) After the break, we'll head across the sea to New York City, where one man has mapped the sounds of pirate radio across the borough of Brooklyn. There's a large number of stations that broadcast to 
the Jamaican community. There's Irie Storm Radio is one in particular. Then there are stations that um, broadcast to people from Grenada and Trinidad and Tobago. So you'll hear a whole mix of sounds from dancehall reggae to Haitian compass to a lot of the Grenadian uh, stations. They play old country music, uh, like from the 60s and 70s. It's really interesting. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. In this week's Guardian Books podcast, we hear from two novelists who have taken inspiration from Greek myth. Daisy Johnson invokes Oedipus in Everything Under, and Michael Hughes has transported the Iliad to Northern Ireland during the Troubles in his novel Country. And The Guardian's chief culture writer, Charlotte Higgins, joins Claire and I in the studio to discuss all things classical, plus what's been going on at Edinburgh Book Festival this year. Tune in to The Guardian Books podcast. Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Webber. Before the break, we looked back at the 1980s UK pirate radio station Dread Broadcasting Corporation. We heard from Carmela Obignan, aka DJ Camilla, who told us about the trials and tribulations of working for the UK's first black music radio station. But now we're leaving 1980s London behind and heading for the airwaves of modern-day New York City, or more specifically, Brooklyn. My name is David Gorin, and I'm a radio producer and audio archivist. As David explains, he's long been interested in the secretive world of pirate radio. When I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, radio was generally the way to hear things that you couldn't hear otherwise on the limited selections that you might get over the television. So you could hear stations from far away and sometimes oddities, like someone without a license in your town or the next town over broadcasting an illegal signal. And when I started traveling up to New York City in the 1980s, there was a different flavor of pirate radio. It was mostly young kids, young, mostly guys. And they would mount their own stations late at night on one or two frequencies. And then this all started to change in the 90s. And now there are stations from the bottom of the dial to the top of the dial. And it's really like a de facto community radio service that has sort of gone beyond what the regulations allow, but what the communities themselves desire to have. 
Are you able to give us maybe a, just a quick history of pirate radio in the U.S.? So where did it start and, and why? Essentially, when radio was becoming established, it was the domain of amateur radio operators, also known as, as hams. And they were the experimenters that were exploring the uses of this new technology. And so through the 20s, it was sort of like a free-for-all. So... In 1934, Congress established the Communications Act of 1934, and that established the Federal Communications Commission. The FCC rejected renewal applications only four times, while flagrant cases of transgressions against good taste and program balance continued unchecked. Which began to license stations, and you needed to apply for a license, and if you didn't have a license, then you were a pirate, an illegal operator. You're listening to Bad Bad Radio, Radio. 91.9 FM, WBAD. Genuine sickness. Earlier this year, David and others produced an audio documentary on one particular pirate radio station called Outlaws of the Airwaves, the Rise of Pirate Radio Station WBAD. You know, the the other stations like WHAT, they were a lot of fun and they were, you know, sort of breaking the rules in a prankster-ish kind of way. But WBAD... The, uh, their founder, DJ Sinchonics, he was a club music DJ, you know, a dance music DJ, and he selected a format that people couldn't hear on regular radio. So whereas WHOT, they were playing oldies, wasn't something you, you couldn't hear, but DJ Sinchonics was playing uncensored hip-hop that the commercial radio station couldn't play because of the rules pro- prohibiting profanity and obscenity on the air. So I see WBAD as being important because they had a foot in the old school pirate scene, but they also were serving an audience that couldn't get the programming otherwise. David's work also led him to create the Brooklyn Pirate Radio Sound Map, a multimedia representation of renegade community radio in the borough. So when you load the map, it loads playing a sound. And there's a tuner that the user can operate. So a sound will come in. I'm looking at it now. It says Live 1031. And then there are tuning dials. So you can click up and down the dial and hear samples from all the stations that I've recorded. These are not live. These are from my curated archive. And then if there are three zones marked out on the map, of the three different areas in Brooklyn that have pirate radio broadcasters. I don't show where the stations are located. I don't know. And many of them are located actually outside of the area they broadcast to. But I I show the area that these stations broadcast to. Like where I live in Flatbush, Brooklyn, I can hear about 36 stations a night, sometimes even more. And I'd say 12 of those are for the Haitian community. There's a very large Haitian community in Flatbush. So you've said that local to your area, there are a lot of radio stations for the Haitian community. What other communities in Brooklyn do you think benefit most from pirate radio? There's a large number of stations that broadcast to the Jamaican community. Then there are stations that um, broadcast to people from Grenada and Trinidad and Tobago. So you'll hear a whole mix of sounds from dancehall reggae to Haitian compost. There have been a few. There's only one at the moment, uh, an Orthodox Jewish station, a 
because I live near a large Orthodox Jewish community. And this station is called Kol HaShalom, and they broadcast in Hebrew and in the other parts of New York. So stations like Radio Lumiere and Triple Nine Radio clearly serve a purpose. For one thing, they often provide a gateway to music that might not appear on mainstream Brooklyn radio for communities that want to hear it. For most of the people who run these stations, it's a, it's a real uh, labor of love and they have a lot of passion. And it's, it's, a lot of it is based around surviving uh, in the community in their new home. And also while maintaining a connection to their original home. What's happening now is with the Trump administration and Ajit Pai, the chairman of the FCC, they've identified pirate radio as a, something that they want to crack down on. There's new legislation that has been introduced and has passed the House of the House of Representatives. It's called the Pirate Act. They're going to have more sweeps. They're raising fines up to $2 million. Even this will probably not immediately make all these stations go off the air. I think where I live in Brooklyn, which is, is very diverse, but it's also, there's a lot of gentrification going on. So I think eventually these neighborhoods gentrifying may dilute the pirate radio scene more than these new regulations, but it's hard to say. But there is a new you know, resolve at the FCC that we have to do something to crack down. So pirate radio stations in the US have found themselves particularly targeted by the Trump administration. But as David has explained, they continue to be especially important to communities underserved elsewhere. And they probably won't be going away anytime soon. I'd like to thank Comella Obignon and David Gorin for joining me this week. Special thanks to our intern, India May Alby, for her help in researching for this show. Any pirates who'd like to get in touch can drop me a line at chipspodcast at theguardian.com. That's all for this week. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.